0: Well, welcome to our first evening edition, a special evening edition of Zurb Soapbox. Jared Spool has been practicing usability before there was even a term to describe it. He's now a master educator in the field, spearheading user interface engineering. Now he's teamed with Dr. Leslie Jensen Inman to meet a gap in design education. They kick-started their idea for a brick and mortar university to help prepare designers to be industry ready. So far, they've raised over $130,000. Want to get into all that, but please give a warm welcome to Jared Spool. Thank you very much, Jared, for joining us. Uh, thank, all the way you. down here in Campbell, California. I know you've come from back east, so I appreciate yeah, you.: Yeah, it was uh,
1: up. Uh, 14 degrees Fahrenheit when we got up this morning. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, uh, when they said it was 70 degrees uh, when we got off the plane, it was like, wow. <laughs> I d- didn't know numbers went that high. <laughs>
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, glad to have you here in California and here at Zurb HQ. I want to just dive right in. Um, You and I have uh, chatted a little bit about the design education gap, and you told me there were basically two gaps in traditional academia. Now, could you elaborate more on that and what that gap is, and why is it important to meet this gap?
1: Um, So there are are basically, yeah, you can think of the world as as being um, two big, Problems that we're seeing with academia first is is that we when we when Leslie and I Started working on the school, which was more than two years ago at this point What we found was that there was uh, This problem with there being this huge demand for designers right now in the Bay I mean, companies are going to extravagant lengths to, to get designers, you know, they just buy up design firms because they want the designers in them. And the, that's happening across the U.S. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so there's this issue that there just are not enough designers being put into the world fast enough. If you look at all the design schools in the U.S., they're going to graduate this year less than 500 students. And there are more than 24,000 open design positions. So even if every single one of those students was an awesome designer, uh, they, uh, could someone get that? (laughs) (laughs) Tell them I'll take a large with anchovies. Uh, what I was talking about. Oh yeah. If all of those, if all those folks, I mean, it would just basically make a small dent in in the demand for designers. So that's the first problem. The second problem is, is that the hiring managers are telling us that the, the students that they see don't have the right skills, that they are missing key uh, skills to be uh, good enough to start in the jobs and be productive. And this has gotten so bad that companies like IBM have actually set up a school. So IBM has a school in Austin, Texas that takes designers that graduate from design school and for six months trains them on how to do design in companies, in particular in IBM. Because they cannot get students out of school who can actually function in IBM as productive designers. And so it's, it's those two problems that, that are really sort of causing us to sit back and say, we, we need to look and solve this.
0: And what is it that academia is actually producing? Because I know like when I did journalism uh, in my undergrad, I went out to work in a real newsroom and found everything that I was learning was 10 years old.
1: Yes, a part of that is, is the accreditation process. Mm-hmm. So to be an accredited school, means that you, there's an organization that approves the curriculum of what you're teaching. That approval process takes a minimum of three years. That means that anything that the school's allowed to teach is at a minimum three years old. Mm-hmm. And so that means that, that, for instance, we're just now seeing the first courses in responsive design because it's finally gotten to the 3 year old point. And anything new like responsive typography or images, uh, anything about workflow, all of that stuff there are no courses on that because the the accreditation process completely stops you from 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 putting that out. So we we need to rethink that process. So that's one piece. The other problem is is that Schools are structured in this this format that was created more than a 100 years ago, not to create practitioners, but to create teachers. Mm -hmm. When when the modern university was first constructed, it was constructed in a society where we did not have enough people to teach reading and writing and math and science and, and all those things. So the original program was to teach people who could teach. And academic courses are basically about preparing you to be a teacher or professor. And so there's a lot of rigor, there's a lot of history, there's a lot of provenance. There's all of these important things, but they're important if you're going to be teaching. Hmm. But they have not ever been, the schools have, have, have never been designed for vocational Studies for actually teaching a trade or a craft. So it's it's almost like too much theory and not enough
0: uh, pragmatic practice. Yeah,
1: it's it's. I mean, theory understanding theory is critical, but the problem is is that is that most of us spend most of our days not working in the theoretical but working in the actual, and the actual work is craft. It's 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 producing, it's, it's actually taking something from concept through outcome. And that is not taught. The average design school has a 10 or 13 week semester. A student going to the design school will take three to five classes. Because design schools these days are very much project based, every class will have projects. That means at any given time, the students are working on between three and five projects. All those projects are done exactly on the same day. They're all due on the same day. The reason they're all due on the same day is not because that's the way the school teaches students the right way, the reason they're due on the same day is that's the day the professors have to have the grades in. Hmm. So they're all due at the exact same time, which means that you have students working on five separate projects that are all due at the same time, that's not real life for anybody. The average project in a traditional design school course, the student is expected to put in 20 to 30 hours to complete the project. Now that seems like a lot because the, the course is probably 18 to 24 hours. So an additional 20 to 30 hours on top of 18 to 24, that, that seems like a lot of work.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But think about real world projects. 18, you know, 20 to 30 hours get you through Thursday, <laughs> right? That's not a real world project. A real world, or world or project. Or tomorrow be... here at Zur, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, be... oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> You're hiring, right? Um, so uh, uh, the it, it doesn't get you through a full week. And Real projects go on for 12, 16, 70, 80 weeks, 100 weeks, right? Students don't learn to work on something for 100 weeks. So the problem that the hiring managers have is that these students come out of school, they don't know how to work on a long project. In fact, they don't even know how to work in a long day because the way schools are set up, the, the, it's a conditioning process, it's, they, you are conditioned uh, uh, to learn that if you can sit still for a 90-minute class, you can go play Frisbee, <laughs> right? <laughs> sit still, go play Frisbee, then come back, sit still, and then go play Frisbee. That's how schools are set up. And the, uh, uh, the students don't learn to sit for an entire day. They don't learn to work on a, on a continuous project for an entire day. So the, the hiring managers are telling us that they're really struggling just finding people who can do the job in the context of work. Right, and it's also because
0: in the school setting, you, you get out and you don't know how to, to prioritize and manage your workload and kind of force yourself into a time box because everyone else is forcing the time box on you. Exactly. So you don't have this kind of yeah. rhythm that, so how the work they should You don't know how to
1: plan the project, you don't know how to work. The, the collaborative projects that you do in school tend to be this sort of surface collaboration. When you're working on five projects simultaneously, they're all due on exactly the same day. How, and, and you can put in at most 30 hours on one or 25 hours. Yeah, how, how much beyond just the surface level are you going to do? The other thing is that the, a lot of the projects that are assigned in school don't represent real world projects they are what we call greenfield projects they they have all the constraints removed and the main reason they have all the constraints removed is not because design is best learned when there are no constraints in fact exactly the opposite design works best when you have lots of constraints the reason they remove all the constraints is that it's easier for the professor to grade right so there are all these things built in that make it easier for the school to graduate the student which is actually not producing the quality of students that 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 industry needs because schools were never set up for industry. They were set up to produce professors.
0: Right, right. And, and that, you kind of mentioned there was these, these kind of two confluences of ideas there. What was the spark where you and Leslie said, something's gotta be done about this. What are we doing to do this?
1: Yeah, so, so Leslie and I came at this from completely different angles. I was dealing with the problem that we were not producing enough designers because I get phone calls and emails almost every day saying, "Please help me find a designer." We get the same calls. Yeah, and I and I'm just like, take a number, get in the back of the line. You know, I I don't have designers for you. Um, the, uh, so so I was sitting just trying to figure out what to do about this, and I was whining about the fact that there weren't any schools that were producing designers in a volume that were big enough to sort of serve this need. And I was, I was actually whining about it to uh, Molly Holschlag, who was one of the first uh, uh, people to really sort of take standards, HTML full force. And she she was behind the HTML5 stuff and CSS. And uh, I was written like 30 books. She's an amazing woman. And uh, she just looked at me and she says, "You have to, you have to start a school. I'm like, Crazy. You're insane. And she goes, that may be true, but you have to start a school. And and so um, I just thought that was an insane idea. And, and, and so the original project that I created was called Project Insanity. Uh, because I thought it was an insane idea. And 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 the whole reason I named it Project Insanity was that my thinking was that I would go and talk to my closest friends and tell them that I have this idea, which I think is completely insane, and I was really hoping that one of them would be a truly good friend and take me aside and said, whatever you do, do not do this project. It's insane. And what I learned after talking to dozens and dozens of these people was that I have no good friends. (laughs) Because everybody said, you have to do this project. You need to do this. And I'm like, that's, that's it's insane. <laughs> and one of them was a guy named Dan Rubin. And Dan's a visual designer, again, been in the business forever. He was the creative director for Moo.com. He, he's just done amazing things. And Dan said, have you talked to Leslie? Leslie, I, I knew Leslie. I'd worked with her on some committees uh, around WASP and, and the Web Standards Project and some other things. And... Uh, uh, I said, no, and, she, and he says, you need to talk to Leslie. And so I was like, okay, and then like a day later, Leslie tweets that uh, she'd just given notice at the University of, Ch- uh, of Tennessee Chattanooga where she was a professor, and she didn't know what she was doing next. And like I sent her a DM that said, we have to talk. And that was like 30 seconds after she posted her tweet. And we talked and it turned out that while she was at uh, UTC, she was, she's a professor teaching web design. She was also getting her EDD, which is the uh, uh, education equivalent of a PhD. And her thesis was on creating a industry-based web curriculum. And, so we started talking, and it turns out that my ideas for what I thought the right school for industry would be were the same ideas that she had coming out of her thesis and her work. And she'd she done all this work, and it turned out that like we matched up 100%. And that's how we sort of started this project together. Just It just seemed like a perfect fit. We worked for about know, eight months just sort of comparing notes and talking to people and 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 trying to talk each other out of this thing, and then uh, you're trying
0: to be good friends to each other. (laughs) Yeah,
1: and then um, and then finally I said, okay, we got to put some money behind this. So so we I found some money and we we put it in and and made a job for her uh, uh, out of it, and uh, we've been going ever since.
0: And from that, getting Leslie on board, you guys went to Kickstarter for some of the. So the, of the funding here.
1: So, so the the parts of it we'd already started funding, but what we needed to do was to so so the way the curriculum works is we've inverted the standard design school. So whereas you take in a standard design school you take semester long classes, thirteen weeks classes, and you you do three to five of them at a time, and then you have winter break and then you do another three to five classes that may or may not be related to the previous ones. And you have different professors for each class and uh, professors don't talk to each other so there's no coordination in the material from one class to the next. And not all schools are like this, but uh, most of them sort of fall into this pattern. Um, uh, We decided to invert that. So the way we came up with this is it's a two year long program. It's a bricks and mortar program. It's gonna be housed in Chattanooga, Tennessee and the, um, the, 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 each class is three weeks long, eight hours a day for three weeks. So it's actually 120 hours. So, so the, the, when, you, when you start to, to work in education, one of the things I learned, which I did not know until I started this project, was that uh, at, the, at the center of education is this, this thing called the contact hour. Contact hours are the Higgs boson particle of education. And and there are these things that have to be everywhere, but nobody knows how they work or why they're there. It turns out they were originally created to calculate how much pension a teacher should get when they retire. And everything is geared around contact hours. So we take the idea of contact hours and we turn them on their side. So our program offers 1,750 contact hours as certified by the state of Tennessee. And we, um, uh, uh, we have, uh, the students will work for, for, in essence, 120 hours on a course. And the court, they only take one course at a time for, for three weeks, and there's 30 of them in a two-year period. So the Kickstarter was basically created to design each of those 30 courses. It was, it was to fund the, the actual curriculum development. Because we have to have that all done before we can open school and we can't charge tuition until uh, uh, we have the curriculum done. And so we used the Kickstarter money to do that. It wasn't a lot of money, it, we, we, we have other funding so we decided to just make it a small goal of, of $21,000. And we met it in three hours. Wow! And uh, we ended up raising $133,000, which is 600% higher than our goal. And it was really funny because we were like six hours in and people were like, okay, should I donate? Do you need any more money? Um, do you have like stretch goals? I'm like, it's only six hours. We, <laughs> we've not been doing this for an entire day yet. We We were like, We had had a meeting, and we had said, we should have stretch goals. Yeah, we'll do that next week. It's like, no. (laughs) you got to do it now. Three hours in. It was just insane how quick this thing uh, kicked in. Uh, Part of it came because we got a a big donation right up front from uh, MailChimp, who has been a big supporter of the program. They've told us they they really want to support it. We've gotten some other huge corporate support, um, which is really nice. Uh, but, yeah, the, the, the Kickstarter was there, so, so our, our stretch goal uh, was if we got enough money, we could bring our full-time faculty on board earlier to help with the curriculum development, and that would allow us to open school uh, in September. And we made that stretch goal, and then that was at 122000 and then once we got to that, we declared that everything we raised after that was going to scholarships. So we ended up getting another $20,000. I guess it was 112000 was what we shot for for the stretch goal. So there's another $20,000 on top of that that we now have for scholarship money uh, for the students. So it's, it's.
0: Cool. It's a, just like, within a few hours, I haven't seen anything. It was something like that quick on a Kickstarter.
1: Uh, yeah, no, it was, it was insane. So we had all these emails that were, that we'd written that we were going to send to all our friends that basically said, so I know you've been a friend of a Kickstarter funder before, Kickstarter founder before, and here's how Kickstarter works. Kickstarter is the hipster word for begging. So <laughs> for the next 30 days, we are going to beg from you. It's basically just hipster bake sale. And we're going to beg for 30 days, and you can shut us up, if you donate a dollar, that's all we ask for. If you, if you donate a dollar and you get all your friends to donate a dollar, we'll shut up that much sooner. And we thought that would get us to our 21 grand, you know, two weeks in. And uh, and then three hours later, it's like, I haven't even sent the emails. So what am I going to do now? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, what am I going to do? <laughs> it, 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 Kickstarter... It, I... Uh, uh, I have been on both sides of Kickstarters, ones that, that looked like they weren't going to get funded until the very last minute and the ones that get funded very far up front and both of them suck. <laughs> it's, it's a miserable experience to, to, to do a Kickstarter project because you, you all you can do for an entire month is refresh, 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 <laughs> refresh. It's, it's, I think I wore out a whole portion of my screen. Um, <laughs> Because that's how Kickstarter works. You just refresh. Damn it. (laughs) Refresh. Damn it. (laughs) Why didn't someone donate since the last refresh? Damn it. (laughs) It's
0: like constantly waiting for that update. Give me the next shot. Uh.
1: It's like when the Kickstarter ends, it's like, Okay, what am I gonna do with my day? I don't know what I'm supposed to do now. So I've just cut out all that refreshing. I think for a day and a half, I kept refreshing like just, just to see if it would. It's change. It's like you
0: just came out of a university design program. You don't know what to do with yourself. It is. It is.
1: It is. Just like that.
0: So, with the Kickstarter, you're you're using that money to to help build this curriculum, get a staff. What is it, you know, that the curriculum that you and Leslie are building, and you guys are designing it from the ground up. What is kind of like the novel approach there that you're taking, and, and how, how does a designer kind of achieve mastery in your program?
1: Yeah, so it's a, it's a so one of the things that's novel about it is that it's a, it's a generalist curriculum. So it's a UX designer, mm-hmm. uh, what we call an industry-ready UX designer. So it's, it's designed with uh, partner companies that are basically the companies that are looking to hire all the designers. So GE has told us that they will hire every designer we can produce. Disney's basically told us the same thing. Um, Marriott's very interested. We decided early on that we were going to focus on companies that are really struggling at hiring designers out of school because um, everybody's struggling to hire designers, but the students are going to the Facebooks and the Googles and the startups on the the Valley. Uh, They're not looking at Sears Holding or uh, uh, Bloomberg or the New York Times or the Metropolitan Museum of Art. They're not looking at these organizations. So we went to those organizations because they really want designers. Um, uh, GE wants to hire 400 designers right now. IBM has open positions for another 600 or so designers for this year. Um, uh, And so we went to them to find out, well, what would you need what is it that you want and part of it is is that they want designers that have the latest techniques that aren't uh, aren't constrained in their studies because of the accreditation problem so we're going completely unaccredited when we talked to the hiring managers they told us that they didn't care about accreditation now that means that students who come to our program may not be able to take the credits from our program and put it towards, let's say, a master's degree. Mm -hmm. But when we talk to potential students and we talk to the hiring managers, that didn't seem to be a, a worry that anybody had. The people who we want to attract are people who want to learn design in order to get a great job. And the hiring companies want to give these people a great job. And so, the fact that those you know, two years may not be applicable to a future master's degree, because the master's degrees are not aimed at getting you a better job, that, that doesn't seem to be an issue mm-hmm. for, for, for a lot of folks. It will be for some, but, but I think the students that we're gonna attract is not gonna be an issue. So, so one of the first real novel things is that we're working directly with the hiring companies to tell us what the curriculum is they need. So if the curriculum over the next year evolves that they need things that is that is that that is more gesture-based, that is more um, uh, focused on uh, responsive workflows and dealing with uh, designer-developer pairs, for example, uh, paired design techniques, uh, uh, then that's what we will teach. And we actually have structured the coursework. And again, this was really hard because we had to figure out how to do this in the in the universe that starts with the basic atom as a as a as a contact hour, we we design the coursework so that so that part of the school is is actually undefined, that, that we can't tell you when you sign up what the full curriculum you will study is, because we've left as much as six months at the end to be filled in as we get closer to uh, make sure that you have those latest skills. You're laying, you're laying track as the train is approaching. Exactly, exactly. It's a very Gumby train model. And so uh, the, the um, gosh, most of you probably have no idea who Gumby is. Um, I watched him when I was five years old. I watched the original program when I was five years old. Uh, um, yes, it's very retro. Um, the... But, but the idea is that is that, that track is, is, is getting filled in. you know. Three quarters of the curriculum, we know what it is. It's a UX design. So it's information architecture, uh, interaction design, user research, visual design, information design, copywriting, uh, design process management, and um, uh, what we call editing and curation, which is basically saying no to features. It's a fancy word for saying no to features. Uh, uh, no more features. Keep it simple. So, um, uh, so those are the basic skills, and then on top of that, we've layered domain knowledge and 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 uh, analytics and um, uh, social network design, and and we've put in uh, some programming. Uh, everybody's going to learn HTML, CSS, JavaScript, jQuery, some Ruby on Rails. Uh, uh, understand how the MVC, uh, uh, how how you know master. Uh, model view controller works, uh, understand how to, to uh, 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 do some basic MySQL. Uh, uh, the whole idea being that they need to be able to prototype things very fast, right. get them up and running. Um, uh, and we've got some really important soft skills, critique, facilitating, presenting, uh, sketching, uh, leadership. Uh, all of these things are are core skills that that the students will come out with uh, in addition to, you know, whatever the next thing is, like responsive design or, you know, if it's Mm -hmm. learning how to program for glass or whatever the subsequent, you know, the the actual (laughs) thing that glass becomes or, you know, uh, uh, car interfaces or whatever it is that we need people to be able to do.
0: Right. When you describe that, it's kind of like more of a holistic approach. I think you've even, I mean, Unicorn yeah. Institute, right? The the unicorn, we, we like to yeah. call it Zerb the product designer, right? Yeah, the person so the Unicorn Institute girls.
1: is the research project that Leslie and I have been working on. So we, we, we realized yeah. that Project Insanity had real poor marketing <laughs> value, and so uh, somebody said, well, you should just call it the Unicorn Institute. And we're like, okay, that sounds funny. So we did, and uh, we, we looked it up and sure enough unicorninstitute.com was available uh, and for $9, best $9 I've ever spent. And I uh, still can't believe it was available. And so uh, that became the, uh, the research project that we did. Part of it was that the way the uh, authorization process, so in order to, to call yourself a school in Tennessee, you have to go through authorization. Turns out you're supposed to do it in California, too. It's, a lot of these hack schools are not doing it and they're getting in trouble. But, um, uh, but there's, uh, in Tennessee, there's an organization called the Tennessee Higher Education Commission. In California, it's called BPPE. But, um, uh, it's a post-secondary education uh, authorization program. And uh, in Tennessee, you're not allowed to market or advertise that you have a school until you've been authorized by the state, which for us took nine months. And we were so afraid, and, and, and the fine for, for marketing is $1,000 a day. So if you market when you're not authorized, you, you will be fined $1,000, and they will go back to the first moment you marketed and just send you a bill. Tally it up. Yeah, and so, uh, so we decided we didn't want to get the bill. So we just ran with Unicorn Institute until January 31st when we got authorization. But the actual school name is Center Center, which is centercenter.com. And so that's, that's the official name, Unicorn Institute. It's, it's amusing that we call them unicorns now because I don't think five years from now if we do our job right, they will still be unicorns. Or if we do ours job right here, right? In the room, right? Yes, of course, you guys are <laughs> gonna do awesome too. Uh, uh, <laughs>
0: Um, that was just for Brian in the audience. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: but, but you know, unicorns are mythical, rare creatures. We don't think they're going to be mythical or rare. Right. You know, they're not really now. You can see, you can find them, but uh, um, uh, they. they uh, I think that, that going forward, they they're going to be. Uh, it, it, the name Unicorn is not going to stand the test of time. Mm-hmm. Where so we we wanted a name that that you know ten or fifteen years from now still made sense.
0: And I have to ask you because you sort of mentioned it a little bit while while we were all having food. But uh, Center Center the uh, uh, American and then the British spelling. Why why that name?
1: So we we chose the two names because it's it, it's we wanted to be talking about the center of design the the design world sort of. We are, we're sort of producing the the students that are coming out are sort of emerging from uh, this hub, so the sort of center of that. But we're also, when we imagined the school, when Leslie and I first thought about it, in order to keep the hiring companies, the what we call the partner companies involved, we we wanted to give them a reason to come to the school. So we wanted to make it a center that people would come to, mm-hmm. So so the sort of, Thinking of it as a place where people congregate to talk about design, to talk about uh, uh, how design is done, and a place where what is new and important in design is emerging. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was sort of the thinking behind the center center name. And, and we were fortunate that all four versions, all four possible combinations of URL were available, <laughs> and we have them all.
0: <laughs> At best nine bucks you spent, or six. Bucks. Yeah, that was thirty-six bucks, but yeah.
1: So uh, uh, well, that was a little more pricey. <laughs> it was, it was, but yeah, no, we got it. So if you type it in wrong, you get center, center, and different combinations. It'll still get you the same place.
0: <laughs> very, very smart. And I, I, I have to ask you as well, because um, you know, you guys are doing a brick and mortar school, and we've seen this surgence of like online treehouse, yes, uh, Code Academy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Why is it important? to to be online like with us we do both online and we also do in person but you guys you've got like a place
1: so we're creating so this is a two year program this isn't a ten week program this isn't a course you take for fifteen hours across you know a bunch of weekends it is it is a uh, a, a two year program seventeen hundred fifty contact hours and the We're looking to create people who, when they leave the program, they are ready to start work inside companies. They don't need another six months of training to be ready to start work. And so the only way we knew how to do that was in person. The bulk of the work, 75% of the time, the students are working on projects. They're working on projects with real-world constraints that have real stakeholders and real end-users that are run almost like an agency in that uh, there's they, the projects come into the school and the students do the design work and they work with a development team and they, the, the work is deployed and the grade they get is basically does that design make the people who use it's lives better than what they had before. And they have to work with legacy systems and fixed budgets and all the constraints that real world projects have. Mm-hmm. And we did not know how to do this, how to do collaborative project work uh, in an online space. We, it's, frankly, the more we get into the curriculum design, the more we realize how difficult it's going to be in a bricks and mortar environment when we have all these hours to play with. And mm-hmm. so. Uh, we felt it was really important for us if we were going to sort of design this thing from the ground up to get it really right in this bricks-and-mortar thing before we sort of moved into online. Because just firing up a chat room and calling it a classroom is not working. Mm-hmm. It's not the thing. And, and you know, we produce, at, at User Interface Engineering, my other company, we produce online Webinars what we call virtual seminars and we just launched a whole library of them. There's 120 of them um, called all you can learn and the And you know you can you can sign up for that get 30 days free and then if you like it 23 bucks a month from that point on and that's The online space and we think that that's that's fine But that's a that's listening to an industry expert for 90 minutes tell you about responsive design or Uh, designing touch-friendly interfaces, or creating Mm -hmm. uh, uh, great user research, or all these different things, but that doesn't teach you the craft or the trade. You have to then go off and and practice and and create your own curriculum around that. We think that for the people we want to produce, we have to create a curriculum that, that includes the practice, includes the collaboration, includes all that stuff, because that's what the hiring managers are asking us for,
0: mm. so you, what you're trying to do? It sounds like it seems like you guys are trying to recreate the actual industry work yeah. within that environment. And I think you mentioned it when we were talking beforehand that you were, you know, the students would be broken up into teams and they would right. have their like own uh, war room.
1: Yeah. So, so the facilities that we have, we have uh, for the first cohort, which we're hoping to start in September, or we're pretty sure it'll start in September. Uh, We have 7,200 square feet, which is about two-thirds of what you guys have here. And um, there will be 36 students in the class, and we're going to break them into teams of six. And each team of six will have their own room that they will do their project work in, and they will have these long-term three- to five-month projects that will come from our partner companies, they'll come from uh, grant-funded community projects, and they'll even be projects that we at the school will create. And they'll work on those for three or five months, they'll work with development teams, they'll have real stakeholders, and they need to put the designs up on the wall. They need to be able to, to conduct user research. They need to be able to uh, have a place where they can leave their stuff and come back the next day and it's right where they left it and it and it's dedicated for that project. And um, two-thirds of their time are working on these long-term projects and they're applying their their classroom work to that. So the uh, for that purpose we've it, it, it is a work day. It's a it's a it's eight thirty to 5, it's an eight-hour you know day, 40 hours a week. What's different between our work day and real work is that we will have full-time instructors whose job it is to sit with the students and watch the projects happening and do things like press the pause button and say, okay, let's just talk about what we just did. You know, we did this unit, we had, we had Jason Santa Maria come in and he talked about typography. And now we're finally applying type to this work that we're doing. How did what Jason talk about what were the lessons he brought in? So let's, let's, let's walk through his stuff. Let's look at what we did. Did we do good? Did we, did we produce crap? What, what is it that's happening here? And have a teaching moment in the project led by an instructor who's been watching the project all along and then says, okay, you guys got it. You've mastered it. Hit start again and the project kicks off and they keep, they keep moving again. Mm-hmm. And that, that ability to press the pause button and reflect on, on the studies you know, reflect on the interpersonal stuff that's going on or the project management stuff. Reflect on you know, the frustration that's happening with the design. Reflect on the fact that, that, that uh, uh, they need to think, you know, they need to get some, um, a little bit more help with their CSS because they're, they're not looking at this the way they should because they, they're, they're just being sloppy in their code. You know, all of those things w- we can do in this space. Because we have this nice physical two-year space, you know, two-year program, and we have a centralized space, and we we can sit there and, and watch what's going on.
0: So it's like the instructor is there to kind of insert a feedback loop during the work day. Now, are they like the lead of the project, or are they outside of the project?
1: No, no, they're 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 project leaders, and this is going to be a hard role. So so we just posted today the job description for the, for, we call these uh, these uh, positions facilitators. That's the official name that we got approved from the state. Uh, though very early on someone nicknamed them Unicorn Wranglers. And <laughs> that name sort of stuck. So if you go to the job listing it says Unicorn Wrangler. But the official title uh, 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 as approved by the state of Tennessee is, is, is uh, uh, facilitator. And the facilitator basically plays this Really interesting. They, the job is very complex. It's unlike any sort of job in the design space, and they're to some extent they're unicorns in their own right. In that, in that we're gonna have to find people who have multiple talents because they're gonna be project leaders. So we need someone who's sort of like a project leader, creative director, because we're we're creating, we're intentionally creating junior designers. That's that's what um, the the folks we talk to at the hiring companies. That's what they are. Missing the most, a lot of these programs are trying to produce the next Johnny Ives or Milton Glaser or Paul Scherer. You know, they're trying to produce these incredible high-end designers, and that's great. The world needs all these high-thinking, incredible designers. We're trying to produce all the people who are going to work for those people who are actually gonna execute the projects, who are gonna actually produce all the wireframes and get the prototypes done and do the user research and conduct all the stuff. So we're, we wanna create all those people. And um, so we don't expect them coming in to have project management skills. That's something that they'll they'll learn as they go, but someone needs to manage these projects. So the facilitator, one of their roles is to manage the project, it's to, it's to do that work. But it's also, um, they're monitoring every student's progress they have 12 each facilitator has 12 students that they're paying attention to and they're monitoring each student as they're going through and if so, someone's starting to fall behind they can do something like hey I, there, let's let's brainstorm what if we did some treehouse and you could go and study CSS on treehouse and catch up there or what if you read this book or what if we did a little one-on-one coaching or what if I take this other student who's really good at it and I make them a teaching assistant and I have them come and work with you and tutor you right so we can we can do that sort of mix-and-match stuff right there they're also going to be working with the industry experts the people coming in every three weeks to kick off with a two-day workshop these courses and basically sit down and say okay here are the students here's where they are in their projects here are the things they need to hear from you so all the industry experts will tailor their, their industry grade workshops to what we're doing in the program and where the students are at that moment. Mm. And the industry ex, uh, and the facilitators are going to be sort of monitoring the program and they're going to be the ones who, who create the curriculum that we use in that last six month period. So they have to sort of pay attention to what's happening at the hiring companies, work with those partner companies, and coordinate with them to say okay what do we need to have in in what we call the the special studies section of the program and they're going to be good so, th- so these people have to have all these different skills and to think about all these different things and we have to find people who are good project leaders they're really good at teaching they're really good at uh, uh, sort of identifying the skills that someone has and, and coming up with ideas on how to make those skills better. They have to come up with the rubrics for, for the assessments. I mean, there's all sorts of pieces of this that they, they need to be involved in, and they'll work as teams. There'll be a mm-hmm. team of three in each cohort, and then as we get going, we, we're hoping that within five years, we will have uh, 12 to 15 cohorts running simultaneously, so all the cohorts will be collaborating, and, um, uh, and that'll allow us to produce, uh, like five hundred students a year when we get to that point, and that's that's what we're shooting for.
0: And and about the the students that you're going to go through this program, and there's no accreditation or right. What is it at the end? Do they do they still get certification or so they get a di-
1: they get a diploma? We have been certified. We have been authorized by the state of Tennessee to give out mm-hmm. a diploma in what we're calling UX design and technology. They wanted the and technology in there for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> And we said, sure. So, so it's UX design and technology. They are happy that we're giving it that. Um, and they, uh, uh, so they will get a diploma in that. But really what they're going to get is this portfolio that talks about the 30 plus projects they'll have worked on over the two years. And because these are real world projects that have real world constraints, they'll be able to talk to those projects in a way that someone who's been in industry three or four years can talk about their work. And that's what the hiring managers are really interested in seeing. They wanna see them be able to talk to a portfolio. There are schools that produce portfolios, but the students can't talk to them. It's like, so what was your, you know, what? well, I got an assignment, I did the work, I handed it in, I got an A. Okay, so did you try alternative designs? No, did you, what challenges did you run into? I didn't really run into any. I did the assignment, I got an A. You know, that's the level of conversation that the students have with the program.
0: They don't have any presentation skills. They can't back up their decisions. They can't Exactly.
1: They can't say, we went down this path. We thought this was brilliant. We put it in front of users. The users just barfed all over it, and then what the fuck do we do, right? I mean, it, it was, it, you know, that's what, that's what the hiring manager wants to hear. What did you do when the users told you this design would never work, right? That's the interesting part of the project. How do you then move forward? How do you then uh, 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 create something that uh, um, uh, gets you the the real experience Mm. of designing? And so, those are the things that the the facilitators are going to sort of bring out and say, okay, we're at this moment. Don't get discouraged. Let's talk about it. What other things could we do here? Let's brainstorm. And, and work the students through a process of, of both divergent, convergent thinking, being able to, to, to tackle big ideas, bring them together, try out, refine them, put together quick experiments, understand how to do things in a lean format, make it work.
0: Mm-hmm. And one last question before I throw it out to the audience, because I'm pretty sure they have a ton of questions, especially this gentleman right here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, do you see this type of education as the future, and what is going to happen in your uh, in your mind to traditional academia?
1: I think traditional academia has a place. I think we need to teach teachers. I think we need to really push the theory, right? We under we we have some theory about how design works, but for example, um, fifteen years ago if you talked in design school about emotion and design, they would sort of look at you and say, well, we build delightful interfaces, but you can't really measure that. And then people like Daniel Kahneman come along and teach us that in fact, using behavioral economics techniques, we can in fact measure happiness and we can measure delight. And we can start to look at how the brain functions when people are delighted and when they're happy. And we can start to look at uh, uh, the bad decisions people make when they're unhappy or the good decisions they make when they aren't. And then we can start to look at that theory. And, and then now there's this body of knowledge that we didn't have 15 years ago about how to measure emotion and how to actually create experiences that project emotion and that, 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 that allow us to, to help people make better uh, designs and, and more delightful. Uh, I think that theory has to keep being pushed. I think uh, acadet- academia is a perfect place to do research, to do studies, to think about that type of work. At the same time, I think there's going to be a resurgence in vocational schools. Vocational. So, so one of the first vocational schools in the United States happened here in San Francisco, right after the. Uh, 1906 earthquake the um, uh, the city was was demolished by fires and and the earthquake and needed to be rebuilt and there weren't enough people to rebuild the city here so someone said well we're not going to be able to find these people someplace else we need to train them so this little building that's now down uh, on Sutter Street called the Mechanics Library was founded as a place to teach people to be the mechanics to build buildings, to actually rebuild the city. And it was really the first vocational school in the US. And there's been a long history of vocational training, and, and in the, after World War II, we needed people to, or during World War II, after World War II, we needed people to, to deal with the rise in technology in the industrial age, we needed people to be able to rep- uh, uh, build airplane engines and repair air, air conditioning and, and be able to do construction work and do stuff. So this whole slew of vocational training came out and it was really a, a, a sort of golden era of vocational studies. There's secretarial schools, all sorts of great things. And then they've sort of taken this hit and they've become this sort of place where scam artists live and, and all the, and all these other things because you can, you know, we promise you'll get a great job if you come and... and, and um, uh, sign up for school which is why now all these states have these agencies that have to authorize this is because the, the All the agencies are all about sort of dealing with the scammers who are promising jobs that aren't there right. And promising that you're getting skills that you're really not getting to get a job and so uh, uh, So so in the last 20-30 years uh, Vocational studies have taken this sort of reputational hit as being this thing that only the stupid people do, that that you know it's it's for suckers and they're all scam artists. I think we're going to see a resurgence in vocational studies because because what we're doing is teaching craft. We are teaching people to be able to do craft work, fine grain master craft work. That's what we need to do, and and the best way to do that is through experience based learning. And the best sort of format for experience based learning is a trade school. Is a is a uh, um, Uh, Vocational school and I think these are going to take different formats when we know more about how to do them online I think that will really thrive Um, I think right now there's lots of experiments some of them are better than others We're paying attention to everything that's going on there I think that a lot of these short-term programs these you know pay $12,000 for seven weeks uh, uh, Programs are interesting, but you know in seven weeks you don't become a master designer and you, You get enough sort of vocabulary to be able to talk your way into it. But that's only going to get people so far. And the hiring companies, they're not quite falling for that. So, so we need something that, that's going to be there. So I think there's going to be lots of different shapes and sizes, just like you know, there's, of everything else in our field has lots of different form and shape and sizes, and not, there won't be one solution that meets everything. We're creating a particular type of program for a particular type of student that's gonna produce a particular type of designer that's going to go to work for a particular type of company. It's a niche thing, but it's a huge niche, so we're going for it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> gonna fill the niche and, as well as, as fill the gap. You exactly. I mean? Very good, I'd like to now open it up to uh, the audience uh, for any questions. Yes, sir. Hi there, uh, my name is Armando. Um, I'm very um, inspired by everything you've been talking about. Um, it's, it's great to hear. I was interested in learning more. It looks like you guys are teaching hard skills and soft skills.
1: Yes. So that the two? So we're t- Yes, yeah. we are teaching both hard skills and soft skills. Yeah. We can't really separate them. Right. You can't do you know, eight months of hard skills and then eight months of soft skills. It, you, you sort of learn them all together. So the way the curriculum is, is coming out is, is you know, we're going to do a unit on, on user research, which is a hard skill going out and doing usability tests, going out and, and doing field studies, learning how to interview, doing all those things. And then we're gonna do a class on, uh, uh, on critique, right? Being able to, to, to talk about the design in an affirmative, constructive way, being able to receive critique, being able to, in a room of people who may have never been introduced to decent critique, Actually bring them through the critique process, so it's a productive affirmative constructive process, right? That's a soft skill and We're we're gonna intermix it because something like critique the student we want the students to practice it over and over and over again So it's gonna be taught very early Mm -hmm. Here's the thing. There are a lot of programs that use critique I've been talking to I've been doing some work recently studying um, architects coming out of architecture school and um, you, you talk to them, and almost all of them say, yeah, we've had studio programs, we've learned critique, we, we've done critique, and so, so what was critique like for you? They say, well, the first year is hell. And the second year is better because you can make the first year student's life hell. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, then the, and then it just gets easier as you go. And one of the students said to me, said, um, uh, what it really is about, if you can master early on Post hoc rationalization—you can learn how to succeed in critique. Okay, post hoc rationalization basically means making up why I did it after I did it. <laughs> right? Rationalizing why I built it this way after, because the professor's going to say, "So why did you make a curve that way?" Oh well, I needed to meet the, the design, and then you know, make some something up, right? It wasn't ever a thought they had during the process. It's just something you made up and if it sounds good, you get through critique. We're teaching students the wrong way to do critique, right? Critique is not about being able to explain yourself afterwards. Critique is about putting your design out there and getting feedback that lets you move the design forward towards the goals of the project. And so so teaching people to be able to do critique in that form, that's key. But that's a soft skill, you don't get much softer than critique. Well, email writing. (laughs) <laughs> we're gonna work on email writing, <laughs> but yeah, I mean that's 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 it, right? I mean that's those are those are the soft skills. So it's gonna be both. If, if I can ask uh, another question yeah, maybe, sure. uh,
0: in regards to that, um, when you were talking to companies out there, was there like a balance between the, the different skills that they were looking for, or I'm or, um, trying to figure out like were they really interested in soft skills? Uh, you know, like people bring in already craft from the, their school work or whatever, maybe they're, you know, they've done design work and they're really interested in doing that craft work. Uh, the soft skills, it seems to me like it's something that's really hard to learn, because it's not really being taught anywhere. Is, did you get any, any information like that?
1: So, so the question is, is, when we were talking to the hiring companies in our research, did, did they favor hard skills versus soft, soft skills? And yes, absolutely. What they feel is missing the most right now are soft skills. Okay. That that is the thing that they were struggling with the most. That the students were coming in with a with mastery of how to how to use Photoshop, or they were mastering you know their HTML CSS, or they were mastering uh, the ability to to sort of design to a problem. But what they were missing, they, they were missing a whole variety of soft skills. So some of the soft skills were things like critique and. Um, uh, being able to, to uh, facilitate or present to peers. Being able to just sketch. If you don't come out of an MFA-based progr- design program, if you come out of like CMU's engineering program, yeah. just basic sketching is something that, that folks can be lacking. So, so those are uh, those soft skills. But there were also soft skills around collaboration. Because group projects aren't really group projects; it's just dividing up the work and getting together on the last day to combine it and hoping it works together. And and um, so uh, uh, collaboration skills, being able to, you know, there's a soft skill that is involved with going into it into a project where you don't understand the domain and asking questions until you understand the domain, so that you can actually come up with insights and designs that. That the people who've been working in that domain for a while had never thought of, mm. and uh, that's an important set of soft skills that that aren't aren't taught, and you can teach those things, but but in order to teach those things, you have to have a lot of practice behind it. So these are these, and then and then there's just simple things like being able to sit in a meeting without looking like it's killing you. <laughs> I can't tell you how many. Um, uh, how many folks, how many hiring managers said, yeah, they can't sit still. They don't know how to sit. And they just slump in the chair. And they just go oh, through That's the meeting. So or they sit there with their phone. And it's like, there's a vice president in the room. Don't you know don't do that. Me. Right? <laughs> and, and, you know. Uh, and so, so, you know, being able to write an email that is not a novel. <laughs> it's just a short little email that asks the question and then gets out of the way. It doesn't give you the entire history of the project, right? So there's all these soft skills that, 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 that are just missing. You know, I had a guy from Disney say, hey, Jared, here's what you need to do. What I want you to do is, I, first week of school, It's gotta be like army boot camp. You just gotta rip them down to nothing and then build them back up piece by piece to make them the ultimate designer. (laughs) (laughs) Disney! (laughs) Disney is so frustrated, they're they're resorting to military tactics.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we recover from that one. Uh, Next question, please. (laughs)
1: So the question is that we have students coming from different backgrounds. We're going to have the facilitators coming in from different backgrounds. How do we level the playing field so that we can build something collaborative? I think the trick is you don't level the playing field. I think in the real world, playing fields aren't level. You've got people who are good at something, but they don't know anything about something else. You assess what they're capable of, and then you let them work in their comfort zone, and then you force them to work outside their comfort zone. So you take the people who are really good at something. So if we bring in someone, so, so we think a lot of the folks who are going to come into the program are what we call uh, people who are trapped by the UX glass wall. So the UX glass wall is this thing where you work for a company and you've been doing, say, visual design, or maybe you're an interaction designer, or maybe you're a user researcher or copywriter. And th- you do that and you're good at it. But you're really intrigued by doing other things. But because of where you work, you can't do those things. You, they, they have other people who do that, or they just don't do that work there. And you keep saying, well, what if we did information architecture? I'd like to work on that. Yeah, no, 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 keep writing your copy. Keep working on you know, your user research. So there are these people. And, they, and then they try to apply for jobs that are more broad, and the people who say, well, but you don't have experience in these other things. And so they're sort of in this catch-22, where they can't get experience where they are, and they can't get jobs that would get them experience, because they don't have the experience to get the jobs. And so um, so we think that, that we're aiming a lot of the sort of admission stuff at, at people who are in that situation. And we think we'll have folks, so those people are all going to have skills. We think we're going to find folks who like are sort of reaching where they think they can get in print design and want to come into more interactive digital design. And so we're going to get folks who are good at visual, good at graphic communication, but probably don't know anything about user research, probably don't know anything about interaction, uh, uh, information architecture. So we're gonna, we're gonna bring them in. And we will use the program to, to, that's why we have one facilitator for every 12 students. The goal is to constantly be assessing who's good at what and use the folks who are good at certain things to bring up the folks who are not doing so well. Here's the deal. You don't really learn something until you teach it. It isn't until you have to stand in front of someone and actually explain it to them that you really learn the subject you're talking about. So, one way to get these folks who are really good at something to learn more about their thing is to have them teach it to someone else. And there'll be people in the room to teach it to. And so, we'll take advantage of their skills, And their experience, and then let them get something even more out of it, in those dimensions. And and this will, I think, this is going to work very well. Cool. So I like that you're talking about the real world constraints. And one of the things I'd be interested in how how will you Right. So, the, so the question is, is how do we get real-world constraints into the uh, into the projects? And the funny thing is, the projects come with them. Uh, uh, we don't have to do anything special. It's it's re, it was, it's really funny. We were um, well. Let me explain how the projects work. Then I'll tell you the funny thing. So, so the way the projects work is, there's three sources for projects. One is. Uh, what we call grant-funded community projects. So one of the advantages of choosing Chattanooga, and there's a ton of advantages of choosing Chattanooga, but one of the advantages of choosing it, well, one of the advantages of choosing it is that gas this week in Chattanooga is $2.74 a gallon. I can say that in California and everybody goes, "Oh." Here's the other thing I can tell you because I'm in the Bay. You can get a two-bedroom house for under $50,000.
0: What? <laughs>
1: yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. So so. You know, we need housing for our students Chattanooga is a beautiful place for us to get housing for our students so, so there's a lot of advantages for us to be there But one of the advantages for us to be there is it turns out that Chattanooga Has all of this old coca-cola money Chattanooga was the place where the first bottling company for coca-cola so up until that point coca-cola I didn't learn this till we started this project up until this point coca-cola was was basically just done at uh, Shops right uh, uh, soda fountains And these these three dudes in in Chattanooga figured out how to get, the most important thing was how to get bubbles to stay in a bottle. And once they figured out how to get bubbles to stay in a bottle, they could sell soda in a bottle. And so Chattanooga became the first Coca-Cola bottling plant. All the other bottling plants basically were licensing their patents. So as a result... Uh, uh, there's all this Coca-Cola money in Chattanooga. And it's dying to be spent on things in Chattanooga. And so we've got support from these different grant, uh, foundations that, have, that basically sit on this money. And so imagine there's a women's shelter. The women's shelter has this problem, particularly this winter, where they have women, children coming into the shelter. These are people who often are coming in with only the clothes on their back. They need temporary clothing to get them through the next few weeks while they get resettled because their home situation is untenable. And the shelter's current way of tracking the inventory of the clothing that they have to supply to these folks is they have a big closet and they open it up and there's the clothing. And they look inside and they say, yeah, it looks like we have enough. But when they run out, it takes six weeks in order to get a, uh, uh, a clothing drive set up to get more clothing for, you know, let's say, eight-year-old girls. So we need more clothing that will fit a range of eight-year-old girls. How do we do that? Take takes six weeks to do that. So, we, so they would like an inventory system that's going to predict that they are running low on clothing for a particular age group and be able to issue a call to the various churches and things that do clothing drives to be able to start collecting that stuff up so that they don't run short during the particularly cold winters. So that's a project. So the way it'll work is one of the foundations will open up a grant. The women's shelter will apply and win the grant. The women's shelter will then keep a small amount of the money in order to make sure that the, the stakeholders can work with the students in order to, to be able to um, uh, uh, do usability tests, to review designs, to, so students can come in and actually see how the shelter works. So there'll be some funding to provide for that. But the bulk of the funding will actually go to a professional development team. And that professional development team will work with the students to actually develop the inventory system. But it's fixed money, there will be a fixed time schedule. So the students will have to work on fixed money, fixed time schedule. So they will work with real stakeholders, real users, real developers, fixed time, fixed money. That's an important project, and that's that's an incredible set of skills. The stories they're gonna be able to tell when they're done with that project will be incredible. So that's one type of project. Another type of project comes from partner companies. So one of the the companies we've been talking to is actually not a company, it's a museum. It's the Metropolitan Museum of Art. They also have a giant database system. It's the database that contains all the artifacts that are stored in the museum. And we talked to them about taking some project that uh, was basically a back burner project. The, The Metropolitan Museum of Art, I didn't know this, has 68 designers. It's a huge design team and they can't get enough designers who come in and they're very frustrated with the ones coming out of school just like everybody else. And and they, they want students who can be able to actually work in the museum and get stuff done. So they so we said, okay, let's give them a project. So we said, well, what, what's a project you have that, that you guys just never get around to, you'd love to do it, but you're not getting around? A back burner project, probably not something that your patrons or your donors will ever see. Oh yeah, no, exactly the project. It's this database, it has every artifact the museum has ever collected. Every fact about that artifact. It has all the information that the curators need to put on an exhibit, all the information that the exhibit planners who actually have to design the cases and how much space things are and, and what the temperature of the room is. All that stuff has to be there. It has uh, everything the restorers use. It has everything that the insurance company uses to appraise these these artifacts. Right, A lot of companies have have old databases that store new things. This is actually a new database that stores old things. <laughs> and the, um, the, the, apparently, everybody at the museum uniformly hates this thing. It was designed by IT seven years ago. It's got a horrible user interface. They've been meaning to design it, but it's never bubbled up to be the top project that they work on, because they always have more important things to do. So they're like, well, let's slice off a piece, maybe the piece that the exhibit planners use. And we'll give that to the students. And The students will come in, they'll learn what exhibit planners do, they'll have to figure out how to learn what somebody does in a domain they know nothing about, understand the key questions, they'll create sketches, they'll run them by them, they'll do usability tests, they'll do this, and if during this three to five month project, um, at the midpoint, the museum likes what the students are doing, the deal is they will commit the IT resources to build some piece of what the students have been working on. So now they'll get to work with the IT department at the museum to actually build this thing out with all of this seedy, horrible underbelly of working with an IT department at a major museum. is like, right? <laughs> and so they're gonna learn all of that part of it. And at the end, they'll have something to show, but they'll have learned how a museum works. They'll have learned how that museum works. And some of them will go, that was fun. I'd like to work for those guys. And that's what we're hoping will happen, right? So the funny part. We're sitting in this meeting, and I'm explaining this to to, uh, um, uh, a group of hiring managers. They go, oh, wouldn't it be cool if this was like a reality show? And you could, it was like Survivor, and you could just introduce (laughs) things like, you know, the lead developer just quit. And, you know, what do you do now? And and Leslie and I look at each other and we go, we're not going to have to design that at all. That's going to happen, right? This is real world. They're going to have to deal with it. And that's that's the project, right? That's it, right? So we don't have to create the constraints. The constraints are there. We just have to surface projects that have them and not strip them out so that it's easier for us to grade the work. question uh, what's your proof to the companies that the designers are junior or What is our proof to the company that, the, that, that they're junior? Um, so, so here's the deal. The companies are going to be involved with the program for the whole two years. So in a lot of design programs, companies come in just at graduation time or maybe at the Capstone project. And they, and they watch what's going on at the last semester. They don't pay attention to the student's growth. They don't see the vector. But more and more, smart hiring companies want to understand, they're, they're less interested in the specific project that, is, that, a, that a potential candidate has worked on, they're interested in what's the, the growth vector of that candidate? Where have they sort of gone in their career? So a, a company that's good at hiring, particularly designers, wants to see How did their projects progress over time? And so we are going to have the the, um, hiring companies Mm -hmm. involved with the students from day one. Part of the enticement is, every three weeks we've got these industry uh, experts coming in and teaching these industry grade workshops. So the, the partner companies can participate in those workshops. So they'll be with the students, Learning from these industry experts, getting their own skills up on responsive design and typography and, and visual design, all this stuff. So they'll be able to get their own folks there. But at the same time, the deal is, is that the, the, the hiring companies will let the, those, those individuals who are in the workshop stay for a couple of days and act as mentors. They'll review the student projects, they'll give them uh, critique. And they'll participate, they'll also teach To students, what design is like at their company. And then that combined with the projects, they'll have this real insight as to who is good and who is interesting for their purposes. And they can start to court students all the way through the program. So our expectation is we don't have to prove anything at the end of the program. We have to prove at the beginning of the program that these students are on the right path, and we're going to do that with their help because they're going to tell us what do, we, what do they need to see out of the students, and our facilitators are going to design that into the curriculum. And we will make sure that the entire two years is a showcase for the partner companies so that the when the students are ready, the, the partner companies are going to all sort of fight over the best ones, but they're, they're going to know what they can do. And the students will have worked with these companies. They will have worked with their IT and engineering groups. They will have worked with the stakeholders and users. They'll have worked in the domains, and they're going to say, I really want to do this kind of work. That's really cool. One of the things that the, that the hiring companies taught told us was that if you're a Marriott, or you're Sears Holdings, or you're Bloomberg, or you're uh, um, uh, J.P. Morgan Chase. On the surface, the projects don't look as sexy as a smartwatch or designing a, a, a driverless car or, or some of the other crazy things that are happening here in the Valley. But the museum inventory system—it's actually pretty cool. And that inventory system for the women's shelter, solving those problems for those people that's got some really cool challenges to it. And so we want to teach the students, this is a big soft skill, we want to teach the students to be able to look beyond the surface and see the sexiness of a design problem that's deep within it. Any good designer can look at any design challenge and go, that's a cool problem. I'd like to take a handle at it. Right? I'd really like to work on that. And we want to we do that. and We want them to be able to express what they see there and to be able to get to it really fast so that they can go to Wells Fargo and find the sexy challenges inside mortgage applications. Because there are a lot of really cool things you can do if we can make mortgage applications better designed. And so um, we want them to understand how to do that. And so, so the only way to do that is to have that intimate relationship over the two-year process. And so that's key to the way we're, we're building this out.
0: We have time for one more question. Uh, how do you think that hiring managers should look at people coming from CMU, RISD, Bentley, uh, Michigan, uh, versus someone who's coming from Center uh, for example?
1: Well, I think, so the question is, how should hiring managers evaluate students coming out of all the different schools that are out there? You know, things like RISD and and uh, SCAD and, and CMU. I think that... Um, I think there's the first thing is you have to be realistic about what you want any new hire to do right whether they're a graduate out of school or a seasoned designer you have to have a really sort of realistic approach to this I think a lot of hiring practices today are actually very bad they are detrimental to the organizations that are hiring these people. They get a lot of sort of crap filtered in. And they're in some ways, they're just cruel procedures that are not actually producing the best human talent for that organization. And so I think that um, whether you're hiring students or not, you need to really look at your process of how you determine what's there. I happen to be a big fan of performance-based ha- hiring. Uh, if, if you want to learn about it, there's a fabulous book by a guy named Lou Adler called Hire With Your Head. It costs $19.32 on Amazon, and it's the best $19.32 you'll ever spend because it will change completely the way you hire. But the, um, the key thing is that you have to understand what you're hiring for, and you have to, you have to understand that in really realistic terms. And if you can get that down and you can say, this is what we want our candidate to be able to do the first year they're here. These are the things we need them to do. And now demonstrate to us that you can do that. Then you'll see the value. And some things need critical thinkers, critical problem solvers. They need people who (coughs) can look at a, a, a bigger picture and um, uh, design for that. And um, some folks will need people who can come into a project, hear the brief, take it apart, and start executing, start really making it work. I think there's roles for both. I think that our school is going to focus on the latter. Um, but they're going to be able to work with the development team. They're going to be able to work with uh, stakeholders. I think that's absolutely critical to the success of the program. Uh, but uh, uh, if you have a clear understanding and you communicate that to the school, the school will change their curriculum to match that because all of our schools are, have the same goal, which is to get the students great jobs at the end. And everybody's, everybody's focused on that. We just are focused on different problems in different ways. Thank you very much for encouraging my behavior.
0: <laughs> Thank you very much, Jared. I appreciate you doing this and coming out. Thank you to everyone who attended.